Welcome, everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor. See, Debbie cheated. She's already saying they like across the room. So everybody say good morning to Debbie this morning. Because we're just a friendly bunch of people here. Say good morning to everybody online. We love our online community. Well, welcome and happy Father's Day to all the men here. Great day. We're going to have a small celebration for uh, fathers, but not only fathers, but but every of the male species today. So it's good. We're going to open in prayer. And uh, our prayer today is that we just continued. We had a worship night last night. And um, we just want to see that continue into our service this morning. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we worship you for, man, your, your, just your immensity. Just even when we think we we can understand your vastness, then it just exponentially grows to a point that is still uncomprehendable. We just thank you today for your continued love and guidance and your mercy and your grace. We continue today that you hear the cries of our hearts, that you walk with us and you answer our prayers, and that you're with us through the challenges, and you keep us reserved during the champions' parts of our world. We thank you for that. So be in our service. Let us, uh, let us not leave here changed, whatever is needed by each person. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do in a mighty way. We ask this in your name. Amen. So if you feel like standing, whatever your position for uh, this time in the service, uh, feel free. And um, yeah, we're excited you're all here this morning. Yeah, watch. Brent's going to do poses every six minutes. So. It'll be good. Who knows? You show up to service. If you're new here, this is really typically who we are. So, all right.
There 
so last night at our worship night, um, we just talked about the things that are keeping us captive, the chains that we hold. Um, And I got this picture of God literally releasing chains from people and seeing the chains fall off of them. Um, And I feel like that's still a message for this morning. And there's a lot of things that people feel chained to or that are holding them back or hostage. And maybe that's a place that you haven't let God kind of work his way in. Um, You've built your wall around it and said, I'm not giving this to you today, God. But um, we're going to sing that we hear those chains falling because God is a God of freedom. And he wants to free you from whatever it is that's holding you hostage because that's not of God. So we're going to sing. I hear those chains falling. And just believe that over yourself. I hear those chains falling. And I hear those chains falling. for God to break through even if you feel like it is he says I'm here to break it off God you break every chain break every chain break every chain break every chain break every
Good morning. Happy Father's Day and welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. We're so glad that you could join us here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. Our service today is streaming live on Facebook. Also, we will be sharing communion following these announcements. For those of you at home, grab a cup and some bread or a cracker so that you can join us. Today we are also celebrating, uh, we remember Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a federal holiday in the U.S. commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. So I'm taking Langston out. If those of you know, that's my fur baby this morning, and I get a call, and it's from Brent. He's like, there's a slide about Juneteenth. Could you? <laughs> so I just kind of laughed, um, wore my shirt, but um, I kind of you know, spoke about it last year, too, and one of my concerns is that it will become too commercialized, and it's on its way there, but uh, I think the important thing is to remember um, that for, for almost 100 years, July 4th was celebrated, and it didn't mean anything to an entire section of the population. So when the Emancipation Proclamation came in 1863, it was cause for celebration, but there were still 
a few people who couldn't celebrate it. They had absolutely no idea that they'd been freed. So finally, on June the 19th in 1865, um, Union soldiers reached Galveston, Texas. And finally, finally, everyone who had been enslaved technically knew that they were free. So that is why we celebrate today um, as Juneteenth, so we can all celebrate being free. Um, and it's also especially important because, again, today's Father's Day, and I think I shared this last year. What Juneteenth means is that I can see my father on Father's Day. Um, those of us that, that still have our fathers here, that are still blessed to have our fathers here, and are African American, it means that we can see them. It means that they're not halfway across the country or somewhere um, sold off somewhere where we might never even know them. So I've been very fortunate to not only know my father, but know my grandfathers and my great-grandfathers. And so, you know, keep that in mind when you're thinking about why people are celebrating on Juneteenth. Thank you. Pastor Brent is preaching from our exciting new study, Why Are We Here and Where Are We Going? Today's message is called Teach Your Children Well, found in Deuteronomy 6. Grab your Bible, your cell, your laptop, your tablet. You also find it written partially um, in the back of your, in your, beside your bulletin, rather, along with the section to take notes. Today is Name Tag Sunday, and we to invite you to wear a name tag. Take a moment to meet someone you don't know. And as I was walking in, Diana said, where's your name tag? And I said, you know I don't do name tags. We would like to remind you about the building pledge cards um, we passed out several weeks ago. Even if you filled out one last year, we are asking everyone to pray over this and either pledge for the first time or next week's or reaffirm your original pledge, I'm sorry. We will be collecting all 2023 pledge cards at next week's Sunday service, June 25th. If you need a pledge card, you can find them on the greeter table in the lobby. So Sunday, July, uh, July 2nd, we had scheduled an um, outdoor service, but there's a lot going on that weekend couple of people are actually getting married that weekend, or the, <laughs> the weekend before that, so there's going to be so much going on that we are not going to have that. Um, there's an outdoor service, just not the picnic. Thank you. Not outdoor service, yes. Picnic, potluck, no. So on Saturday, July 8th, you're all invited to come and bring your friends to our Christmas in July Christmas for Kids fundraiser a barbecue rib cookout from 12 to 5 in the churchyard, a rib dinner meal including sides for $20, one free kids' meal with each adult meal, also a basket auction, a 50-50 raffle, and family games all right here. Our church is participating in the Calling Golf Championship for Charity this year. This event takes place at the Firestone Country Club on July 12th through the 16th. Tickets are $25 for one day, with monies going to the charity of your choice. And this event, at this event, there will also be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame pinball patio and a kids' zone and multiple food trucks. Tickets are available only until this Friday, June 23rd. You can pick up a flyer in the lobby. At this time... 
Our children will come in to pass out gifts that they made for all men in our church. This will be followed by a special Father's Day video. Hey, it wouldn't be the vineyard if there wasn't craziness, right? Okay, um, Tracy would like to watch the video first and then pass the stuff out. So if they would like to get that queued up, that would be amazing. I know that's a, throwing a wrench in the plan. And then the kids have something that they made for you guys. Hi, uh, I got a call about my son, Ben. Oh, yes, Mr. Mason. He's been with the principal. He'll be out in a minute. This is it. My first serious teachable moment. A chance for me to impart the wisdom of my life to my son. If he thinks he can get into Whatever he did at school and get away with it, no, sir. Not this day. Look at him. Like a sponge. Ready to soak up all my life experiences. Maybe I'll tell him about the time we... No. No, he's not ready for that story yet. How did the TV dads do it? Like Mr. Tanner. Or Dunphy or the great Mr. Belding. Wait, he was the principal. Maybe he was a dad. Doesn't matter. This is going to be awesome. I'll start with a relatable story, then show how I thought I was cool by doing something wrong, and wrap it up by how bad it got and what I learned. Finally, bring it home with a scripture and a prayer. Dad, look at me now. I'm finally a father. And both Ben and I will remember this moment as the turning point in his life. And it begins in three, two. Mr. Mason, thanks for coming in. Ben is free to go now. You know, it was really great how he stood up for those other kids. He's not in trouble? <laughs> no, he's not in trouble. But my moment. You should be very proud of him. Great job, Dad.
So that's a good message for all of us. Your life speaks louder than just one moment. So live it well. Be a good example. Um, so the kids are going to go ahead, guys. They're going to start passing things out. They made um, these for you. Tracy, do you have anything you wanted to say about these or no? Okay. So they made these cozies for you guys. Um, this goes to anyone who is of the male persuasion. We here at the Vineyard believe that um, whether you are a biological father, adoptive father, grandfather, who, whatever, you, whatever the case may be, or if you... Or if, if you're just, uh, just someone of the male persuasion, we know that at some point in your life, if you haven't already, you are going to feed into a child or feed into an, uh, an, a young adult's life, and you're going to be a significant part. So we just want to honor you. Oh. If you don't have one, raise your hand so the kids can see you don't have one. All right, everyone's got one. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you just, just put a special blessing on all of the men here today, Lord God. We ask, Father, that your spirit just rests heavy over them, that they can just feel a special touch from you today. We pray, Father, that you encourage them to, to walk their life out well, to live well, to be a good example, and to um, just look for any opportunity, Lord. I pray that in the busyness of their days that they don't miss out on what you're doing, that they can experience what you're doing and not be so bogged down and so overwhelmed and so consumed by the task at hand, but to look for any and all opportunity to be your hands and feet for each and every person that they come encounter with, Lord. We just ask for your blessing over them and this day and, and the day, this day forward. In your precious name, amen. All right, kids. Thank you. All the, the fathers, father figures got one. Um, don't forget today's offering. We will, we will have a small table at the back of the sanctuary for your offering or donate on our church website or Facebook. Pastor Brent's coming now. Don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Just tell yourself that, okay, we've changed the order a little. Now, if I forget at the end of my sermon, then you can all just say, Brent, communion, <laughs> hurry. Um, welcome, and it is good to be here today. It was a really, really nice worship night last night. It was actually kind of small, but it was pretty cool. Pretty cool time, good time. So, um, and also the U.S. Open is so Jim's happy, yay Jim, and Ricky Fowler's in first place, so Rick Jim's really happy. So pray for Ricky today that he would, uh, but do keep praying for um, Anna Marie's father. Um, uh, 
just that we'll, in fact we'll pray that right now father we just pray for you're you're such a good father a good good father and um we just pray for all those who are sick in our midst and those who have family that are sick i i thank you for my dad who's not here who's there for Teresa's dad we thank you for all of our all the all the men in our lives that have been fathers to us i thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. So um, that was, by the way, that was the beginning of Teach Your Children Well by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. We have to like be cautious because we go t- too long. They don't really say what too long is, but if you go too long, they'll like bonk the whole service. And, and, uh, and they say online, yeah, not, not here, online. Yeah, they, um, they bonk it and then they send the... Um, the copyright police in, and I'll just point to Jim. He did it. He did it. Um, it I loved what Michelle said, that, that one of the things that happened in Juneteenth is that a lot of people, especially I think it was around Texas and some other places, didn't know that, that um, emancipation had happened, that the, the message of freedom had come. And I thought of that. It's almost like, it's not almost, it's a really good living picture of of Christianity in the sense that a lot of us or a lot of people have literally been set free through what Jesus did, through his death and resurrection, that he literally paid the price. And a lot of us live like he hasn't. And so um, one of the things that I'm sure happened when the slaves found out that they were emancipated was like, whoa, really? I can't believe it. And um, in some ways, that should be our response, too. Well, today we're going to talk about, we're, we're talking about who are we and where are we going. In the who are we, this is probably the most central passage in all of both the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of who we are. And it has to do with, with the God we serve and with our love for God and with God's love for us, and we'll get into it in a minute. Before I do that, since it's Father's Day, I actually get to use a, a, a man, well, it's not just a man illustration, because women like cars, too. But there's, there, it's funny, this week I was looking online, because some of you know I, I get these pretty old BMWs, and I get them really cheap, and then I fix them up, and I drive them, and I love them. And there's one BMW that's like, the, the, the BMW of all BMWs called the M series. And they make a f- few different kinds of that. Now they're kind of starting to put M's on other things. But every once in a while, somebody will put, an M means like it's specially designed by a special team, special suspension, special engine, all that stuff. The original M1 car was amazing. Look that up sometime. It's made in, I think, the 80s. It was a mid-engine. What's that? M is for motorsport, yeah. But so every once in a while, somebody puts an M on a non-M car. Now, BMW 328s are awesome cars, but they're not M cars. They they go they I mean, actually, by for by car standards, they are pretty fast. But it's not an M. And so some people online get really bent, like I can't believe they did that. And other people are like, yeah, whatever. Um, and and. It, it has to do with, with, with authenticity, with, with reality, with what, 
what really is an MCAR? And in some ways it fits in with our past, at least I'm going to fit it in, with our passage today, with, with who really God is. Who, who is God? Who is this God that we serve? So let me just go right ahead and read the scripture. This is in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy means, Deutero means two, and Nome it means number, number two. And it's the second time, it's kind of like a, the second time Moses is giving the law to the people. But this time when he gives it, he does a sermon with it, almost like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so Deuteronomy is, is uh, Deuteronomos, it's... it's um, wasn't that impressive? Were you impressed that I could just do that? It's like, boom. Um, it means that this, the law the second time. So, um, and, and this is an encapsulation of that, but Moses is doing it in a both kind of a prayerful sermon-type format. And he says in, in Deuteronomy 6, These are the commands and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing to the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give to you, so that that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, or hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly, in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord of the, the God of your ancestors promised you. And this is the Shema. This is something that if you were an Orthodox Jewish person, you would recite like three, four, five times a day. In fact, one famous rabbi was being persecuted and burned at the stake, and, and the last words on his lip, lips were parts of the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them together on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Are you getting the idea that this should be everywhere? When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant, Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this is the the gospel for the Israelites. This is when they're brought out of slavery. It's kind of fitting that we're doing this on Juneteenth, isn't it? Fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take, take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did in Massa. In, in Massa, they, they were crying out for, they were really angry and they were crying out, I think it's when they were crying out for water and Moses ends up hitting the rock and, and it's a whole thing. It's a thing. You can just look it up. Um, be sure to give the commands to keep the commands of the Lord your God 
and the stipulations and decrees he has given you, do what is right in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take the good over the good land the Lord promised you on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. Now, again, for us, we think, oh, that's a terrible thing to do, push people out of the land. But literally, one of the reasons Israel was in captivity for 400 years in Egypt was so that the people that were in the land had an opportunity to change. And the illustration I can, that comes to mind always is like, like Nazi Germany. I mean, God is very gracious and kind, but there's a point in time where God goes, okay, enough is enough. And, and there was a time when, when God literally removed the Nazis from power and brought in another group of leaders, another leadership group. In the future, when your son asks you, what, is, what are the meanings of the stipulations and decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded us? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand before our eyes. The Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on the Egyptians and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to follow all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we're careful to obey all his law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And Father, just bless your words today, I pray. So, a couple messages. Some, these are some lessons from Moses. In some ways, one of, one of our spiritual fathers, right? And these are some really good lessons from him about our lives, and, and ultimately, they're, they're about how to live a, a joyful, filled life. Did you, did you see the pattern going over again and again in this, that God's intentions for us are good? Over and over again, why does God do this? For your good, that it may go well with you, that, he, that you may you know, enter the land flowing with milk and honey. And that was kind of this, this idea of milk and honey is kind of this, Almost this net that, that the land just was so abundant. It, just, it wasn't something that was man-made or manufactured. It just sprung forth. It would have been a vegan paradise. You know, just milk and honey. Oh, you can't have milk, but you could have honey. Land of honey. Oh, you can't have honey? Oh, it comes from bees. Oh. Land flowing with grass. But God's intentions for us are always good. That's not true. Anyway, I won't go there. Um, God's intentions for us are, 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 are good. You know, do you believe it? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God has good for you? No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad things get, no matter, you know, if you lose your job or find out you have cancer or any of those things, that God is always working for our good, even if it doesn't feel like it. And today we're going to talk about that, because for some of you, I think you're here and you're going, it doesn't feel like he's working for my good. So, first point, 
God's intentions are good. Real simple. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey um, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And for us, the promise that's been given to us is even greater, a greater land, a greater promised land, a greater kingdom, a new world, a transformed world flowing with milk and honey and stuff we cannot even imagine. That's what God has us in store for those who love him, for those whom he has called, for those... I mean, God's, God's in the process of making this whole thing right. That's what God is about. That's what God is like. Like somebody said, God isn't like this big old mean person in the sky who had all these, created all these good laws and then said, you know what, I should make some people. These laws are so good, I'm going to create some people to follow them. That's how some of us live, though. And so the first point, God's intentions for us are good. In fact, in Jeremiah 28, 29, some of you are really familiar with this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. And he goes on there. The second thing that we learn from Moses is that we are to love God wholly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, the Lord our God is, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. There's a really cool story that our previous national director for the vineyard, Bert Wagner, said as he was, as he was retiring. And, it, and he quoted from um, Micah where it says, He has shown you, O Israel, what is good and what the Lord requires to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And he said that they used to have their grandchildren stay with them all the time. And he would go out for prayer walks, and every time he'd go for a prayer walk, he would see him, one of his grandsons just standing over the uh, patio, just watching him. And one day, his grandson just said, Grandpa, where, where are you going? And he said, I'm going on a walk. He said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to talk with God. That's when I talk with God. And then he said something just amazingly cool and profound. He said, Grandpa, can I, can I go and walk with you as you talk with God? Can I learn how to talk with God like you? Wow. Love, your, love the Lord your God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now when he says the Lord our God is one, he's not necessarily, it, isn't, it is numerically one, but it's, it's more than that. It, it, it's saying he's the only one. We live in a very pluralistic society. In fact, the society that Israel lived in, there were all kinds of gods. There were Canaanite gods. They had the gods, the Canaanite gods were the gods of fertility and the gods of lightning and storms and all that kind of stuff. That's why when Elijah calls fire down from heaven against the prophets of Baal, it was kind of a, a power play against the prophets of Baal because <laughs> they couldn't, their Baal, who supposedly controlled the lightning, couldn't do anything and, and God did. And so, the, the point God's trying to make is I'm, 
I'm the real true one. I'm the true MCAR, is what God is saying. Much more than that, but that's what God is saying. I'm a, I'm a true MCAR. I'm it. I'm the only ultimate real one. There are other spiritual principalities and powers out there, but they don't have your, your best interest, and they are created. I created all that exists. I am. When, when Israel, when, um, when Moses asked God who he was, he said, I am that I am. I am. And see, we live in a culture, they lived in a culture that had many gods, and in some ways we live in a culture that has many gods too because we live in a culture where, where people go, well, we, we create gods in our own image, don't we? Well, I have people tell me all the time, well, I like the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Old Testament. I'm like, yeah, they're kind of the same. They're the same. You're talking about the same God. We're not talking about two different gods there. Or I love, one of my best, my favorite pictures of this is in uh, Talladega Nights with uh, the legend of Ricky Bobby. Any of you saw Talladega Nights? Oh my gosh, it's like a really funny movie. If you like really dumb humor, it's awesome. But anyway, Ricky Bobby's like this, it's about these, it's a comedy with Will Ferrell about these NASCAR drivers. Ricky Bobby's one of them, and he ends up becoming this famous NASCAR driver. And during one of the scenes, they're sitting down at dinner to pray, and we get this great theological lesson from them. And, and, and Ricky Bobby sits down, and he's got his whole family with him. And let me read his prayer. This is his prayer. Ricky, Bob, <laughs> Ricky Bobby says, Dear, babe, <laughs> Dear Lord Baby Jesus, Ricky Bobby prays. We thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call him, and of course my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox, Dear tiny Jesus in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing at the air. At that point, Ricky's wife, Carly, says, interrupts him and says, Hum, hon, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You didn't always have to, <laughs> you don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. And Ricky says, Well, I like Christmas Jesus best. And since I'm saying grace... When you say grace, you can say to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whatever Jesus you want. Isn't that a great summary of our culture? I want to pray to the God. Now, let me give you another picture. This is a picture from Tim Keller. He's one of my spiritual fathers. He said it would be kind of like, you know, sometimes we have a hard time when somebody says, well, there's only one true God. And he says... Tim Keller said, well, when people have a problem with that, he used the illustration of there being one true you. And what if somebody came up to you? I was thinking about that. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, hey Brent, I'm writing, a, and this is an illustration from Tim Keller too. He, he didn't use me, but I'm writing a book about you, Brent. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So what are you writing about it? Well, I'm, I'm writing about how you're this little skinny guy with long blonde hair who never takes risks, 
who's always serious, who hates fast things and music and mechanical things, and really hates the smell of cigars and hates ice cream. And I'd be like, how many of you would think of me right away when you heard that description? Okay. <laughs> no. So, so God's the same way. God's like, that is not what I'm like. And there's a great quote by, again, this is by, by Tim Keller, that, that we actually need the God we didn't create. Our hearts most need the God we didn't create. We need a God outside of ourselves. We need a God who, when, when we're feeling completely unloved, if, we're, if, if we only have the God that we've created in our own mind, then that God is about as big as we are, and that's about, as all, that's about all we get. When I'm struggling with, with whether or not God loves me, I need, the, I need to hear the words from the omniscient, the omnipotent, the all-powerful God, Brent, I love you so much, I sent my son to die for you. When we're feeling guilty, I need a God who literally came into this world to die for me. I need a God that I didn't create. I want to know. So when God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one and you shall worship only him. He's saying, you need to. We need to grab a hold of the real God. When I, when I became a Christian, part of what I did, and I've shared this over and over again, is I literally almost kind of took it and held up a Bible and said, okay, I don't exactly know who you are, but I know that somehow you have, you have expressed yourself through this book, and, and I'm going to trust and believe in what you and what it says. Because I had asked one, <laughs> one day, and I've shared this before too. And I was standing in the balcony in my apartment with my sponsor roommate. And I'm looking up at the stars and I'm going, God, who are you? And I look down and there's this little pamphlet down below. This is before I became a Christian. And I went down and I picked it up and I opened it up and said, I am Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that. You're, you're God, Jesus, you're God. I, oh, what, what? Secondly, that what this means, what, what loving God like that means... And, and by the way, you know, this, this means that, there, that God is real. Whether or not you choose to believe in God doesn't make him real or not real. Do you, do you know that? I mean, you can believe or not believe the chair you're sitting in is really there. That doesn't negate the fact that you're sitting in a chair. It's there. It's real. We don't create that stuff just by whether or not we believe in it. There are things in this life that just are. And one, one day we're going to come face, no matter who we are, one day you're going to come face to face with this amazingly gracious, kind, big, huge, holy God. And we're going to probably all go, whoa, whoa. This is, I mean, I believe, I thought I knew, but you are so much more. But he says, not only do we need to worship the one God, but we're to, to have, and, and um, one pastor says, we're to have a transformative love. There used to be a song by a group called Boston. I'm really getting old school here. It was called More Than a Feeling. 
It was talking about love. It's more than a feeling. It's an, it's an action. It's a life. We did, Teresa and I did, we were doing, for our fall book, book study once, we were doing um, 40 Days of Love by um, the Saddleback Community Church pastor, yeah, by Rick Warren. And so we decided to do it with our Indian friends. So we, I, from time to time, do a service with the Indian community on Friday nights. That's a lot of our Indian friends that we don't see here sometimes. They get together every Friday night, and they invite me to come. And so we decided to do a small group. So we're at Neil and Swapna's house, and we start doing this whole thing. And the, the first part was about telling people you love them. Excuse me, telling people you love them. And we get like three quarters of the way through, and all of a sudden one of them raised their hand and said, you know, in India we... We, we never tell people we love them. We just show them. And I was like, oh. Oh. I mean, I think it's good to do both. And then Anil proceeded to show us by making some Indian popcorn, which he put so much... He put Indian, some of Southern India food is very hot. He put so much pepper in the popcorn that while he was cooking it, None of us could breathe, including his wife. So we had to open the doors, and we had to kind of go stand by the balcony so we could breathe. And I just thought, Anil, you're loving us so much, you're almost killing us. You know, it's like... So believing in God isn't just verbal, but like he says in this passage, we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Where have we heard that before? When Jesus said, this is the commandment and the other is like it also, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And those who get that are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And then he says this interesting thing. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, like, like uh, Bert Wagner. And when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, he's saying, let God fill every aspect of his life, not just when we show up here. Let him fill your, your you know, how much time is there between lying down and getting up? That's, that's pretty much our whole life. He's saying basically your whole life should be in. in impregnated with the presence and power and grace of God. Tie them as symbols on your hands. What you do with your body, let that be just infused with, with the love of God, with God. What do I do with my body? That makes a difference. It makes a difference what you do with your body. What do you do sexually? That makes a difference. And do that with God. Tie them, bind them on your foreheads. And he's, he's basically saying, and actually they used to wear these things called phylacteries. They would wear these things on their foreheads, literally. But he was, they weren't stupid. They knew he was talking about our minds. Let our minds be flooded with the grace of God. Write them on the doorposts of your house, that your house should be filled with God. And at your gates, that our our actions outside of our house and outside of our church at work should be filled with God. It matters how we do our jobs. It matters in the society that we live in. We're to trust God wholeheartedly. Don't put the, your, the Lord your God to the, 
test as you did in Massa. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations he has decreed. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take the, over the good land the Lord promised to your ancestors, trusting out all your enemies before you. Now, I want to clarify one thing in this. Often people think of the New Testament as grace, the Old Testament as law, and that's just not true. When did God deliver the people? When did he save them? The whole, before or after he gave them these laws? When did he deliver them? Before. I, I want to communicate, this is one thing I want to really communicate to you today. The exodus is a living picture of the gospel. The people were in bondage to slavery. God comes and rescues them through the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Remember that whole thing? Put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. He rescues them by the blood of the lamb. They pass through the waters, the waters of baptism. And these, these are, these, I'm not just making this stuff up. This is like a living picture. The God's going, this is how I'm going to bring salvation about on a huge scale. This is a smaller scale for the Israelites. But we're to trust him. Do what is right in the Lord's God, so it may go well with you. And he says, you know, in this passage, he says, don't be like Israel who tested God in Massah. Don't be like Israel who tested, what did they do when they tested God? They basically said, God, if you really love us, then you have to do this and this and this. I, I've known so many people who've done that. I had one person who was part of a church that came to know Jesus and stuff. They really felt like they were supposed to marry this one person. The only problem was that that person didn't feel like they were supposed to marry that person. And so they didn't. And so this person just said, well, then I don't believe in God because he didn't do what I wanted. That would be kind of a testing God. You know, there's stuff that happens in our lives that we don't get, that we don't understand. I've been going through this. Some of you know me. The last probably 10 years, I've had like kind of stuff, just physical stuff continuously. You know, Achilles, shoulders, knees, hips. But there's also been a lot of emotional stuff with family that's just been, you know, that's hard, that, we don't, that I don't get what's going on. And my tendency is to right away go, God, God is mad at me. God, God's punishing me. God's, God's against me. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes, I told Teresa the other day, I said, I feel like everything I do is, is being thwarted, pushed against. And I feel like, am I doing this all wrong? What am I doing? I don't get it. God, what are you doing? And I came across this story, and this was a story that, that Tim Keller used in his sermon. It's just so powerful. I, I think this might be, and for me, this was like an amazing answer to that question of, what's, go, what's going on, Lord? What's going on? Elizabeth Elliot, who had actually lost two husbands. One of her husbands was a famous missionary who was killed by the tribal group that he was trying to bring the gospel to. And then she married again, and hit. that husband died. She said she was at her, her friend's sheep farm in Wales. And once a year, they had to take the sheep and dip them in this vat of antiseptic. They had to put the heads under and everything. 
Now, I don't know anything about sheep, but I know about cats. Our cats, when, when we have to go to the, the vet, we don't, even ha- we don't even have like their case. Well, we don't really have a case. We just print them in a box or something. I don't know. That's probably why they're scared. But anyway, um, but they, they know that when that's good. They, they take off. They run away. They don't realize we're trying to do something good for them. But she talks about this and she says, that person, the farmer's name was John. One, one by one, John sees the animals. They would struggle to climb out the side and Mac, the sheepdog, would snarl and snap at their face to force them back under. When they tried to climb up the ramp, in a panicky, um, panic away at the far end, John, the farmer, would catch them, spin them around, and force them under again, holding their ears, eyes, and nose, submerged for a few seconds. They had to, or they would die from all the infections and gunk that sheep get. They would die if this didn't happen. As their Lord and Master was pushing their head under and drowning them, at least as far as they could tell, do you ever feel like you're being drowned? Their little panicky eyes would look up over the edge of the vat, and it was easy to see what they were thinking. What is God doing? Because to them, John was God. To our two cats, Teresa and I are God. And when we bring them to the vet, they're like, what are you doing to me? Or even when we had to bring our daughter in for some of her first shots, she looked at us like, what are you doing? You know, you evil people, you, I, what are you, they, they, you're letting people put this horrible thing in me. Is suffering for nothing Is our suffering and the panic we feel when drowning in sorrow or confusion nothing? Can God be trusted? Elizabeth, whose first husband was speared to death by many was trying to reach with the gospel, and whose second husband died of cancer, continues, I've had experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor sheep. There are times when I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from my great shepherd, whom I trusted. And like these sheep, I didn't have a hint of an explanation. God didn't tell me why. There will be no intellectual satisfaction on this side of heaven to that old question, why? Now, when I was thinking about this, and God uses us, when he talks about us, he talks about us as sheep, right? How, how much comfort do you think the sheep would have gotten if the farmer told the sheep before they were going under the, that you, there's all kinds of like diseases and mites and, and, and things that get under your skin, and so this is a vat of antiseptic that I'm going to dip you in. I'm going to have to put you under for a few seconds, but it'll be okay. What I'm doing is to protect you. I'm doing something good for you, but it's not going to feel good, okay? And the sheep would all go, wah, 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 wah. Would sheep get it? Would the sheep understand what was going on? What makes us think, and we have, like, like, again, this is from Tim Keller. He says, we have more in common with the sheep than God has with us. God is so much greater and so much more powerful and so much, that even if he told us what he's doing, we wouldn't understand. Do you get that? There are times in, in my life, like right now, some stuff going on, that I don't get. 
And I have a choice to make. I can either say, well, forget it. If God's not going to do this, then I'm not going to follow him anymore. We can do that. We can choose to do that. We can be like a sheep that says, I'm getting out of this thing. Elizabeth goes on. There'll be no intellectual satisfaction on this side of heaven to that old age question, why? But although I haven't found intellectual satisfaction, I have found peace. And I can say the answer that I say to you is not an exclamation, but a person. Jesus Christ, my Lord and God. It is he who was the word before the foundations of the word, suffering as a lamb slain. And he has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about. And he's told us enough so that now we know that suffering is not for nothing. Our suffering is never for nothing. And that brings me to my last point. I always tell the story. It's kind of interesting because the last part of this is like Moses is giving a sermon. And the last part of his sermon is, what do, I, what do I do? Or He says, when your children come, when your sons come, and in those days it was more sons, but we would include sons, daughters. When they come and ask you, why do we live this way? You know, one of my Old, old Testament professors, Dan Block, said one day, his, his kids, when they were going to be teenagers or whatever, go, how come we have to live like Neanderthals and everybody else gets to do whatever they want, you know? Or, you know, when Bethany was littler, she was like, why do we have to do this, you know, kind of thing. And you could, you know, the, the famous parental answer to kids is what? Because I said so, right? Now, God could do that, right? That, don't you think the one who created us has a right to do that? But does he do that? No, listen to this. Now, again, this is before the gospel as we know the gospel. His answer to that is this. When the, in the future, when your son or daughter asks, what is the meaning of the stipulations and decrees the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, why are we living like this? Why are we living different from the world around us? Tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us into the land and to give us the land he promised to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and the Lord, the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. And if we are careful to obey all his laws before the Lord our God is commanded, that will be our righteousness. And do you get what the first thing God does here? When he asks, why are we living this way? He doesn't say, because God said so. You know what he says? He tells a story. He tells the story of the deliverance. He tells the early, 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 early version of the gospel. He says, because we were slaves in Egypt and we were hopeless and yet God heard our cries and he sent a deliverer and he delivered us from slavery and bondage. In his love, he called us out of Egypt. In his love, he washed us through, through the Red Sea. In his love, 
He cared for us. And what they had to do, remember that whole story in Exodus, is they were to, to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And when they would ask, what, Father, why do we put the blood, blood over the doorpost? Like Jim Keller says, probably the, the father would go, I don't know. <laughs> it seems kind of weird to me. But later on, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, what does he say? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see what, what Moses is doing here? He's telling people, when people start asking you about your life, when they start asking you about why do you do what you do, you don't just go right into the moralism because God said so. And you're going to go to hell if you don't. You know, that, that isn't where he goes. The first place he goes is because God is good, because he delivered us. The, 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 <laughs> the blood of the lamb went on their doorpost before the law went on their doorpost. Do you get it? Grace. Grace. We preach grace first. I run into people all the time that are living crazy, weird lives. You know, my first thing isn't, we, one of the places Teresa and I worked, there was a lady who had just become a Christian. She was really zealous, and she started going to this really um, uh, conservative church. It was super conservative. And there was another lady there who was this really strong, really strong feminist, you know, pro-abortion feminist woman. And... And she, she, her name is Barb, and she actually, I felt like God was kind of had an opening there. So me and another guy asked her once if she wanted to do a Bible study, and she's like, yeah, I think that'd be cool. But in the meantime, this other person came up to her and said, you know, you have to obey your husband because the Bible says so. And the woman wasn't even married, and she came up to us and she goes, what the heck is she talking about? Law before grace. But then we did this Bible study, and we came in this Bible study to, the, to John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't, didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might what, live through him. And Barb said, what is that, Brent, what does that mean? And I told her. I said, Barb, what that means is that God through Jesus, cares about you so much that he took all of your brokenness, all of your wrong, all of your everything, he took it on himself. He paid all the debts. He died for you and rose again so that you can have new life, so this whole world can be made new again. And she sat there for a minute and she started kind of crying and she said, I don't know if I believe that, but that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I just told her, I said, well, why don't you go home and ask God tonight if that's true? And she went home that night. And she came back the next day and she said, I asked God if that was true and you know what? I believe. And she became a Christian. Gospel before law. Gospel before lifestyle. Good news. Good news. Amen? Good lesson from Moses today? Not too shabby, huh? Father, thank you for Moses. Thank you for...
our lamb who was slain. Thank you that you've shown us the deep, deep love you have for us. Thank you you've shown us that we are forgiven. Thank you that you've shown us that no matter what we're going through, you might be immersing our heads in the antiseptic and it doesn't feel good and we don't like it and we don't get it. And we know that one day when we stand before you, we, we will understand. But now sometimes we don't get it. Help us to trust you even when we don't get it. And help us to be people who, who, <laughs> who only and always and frequently tell the story of Jesus. Amen. So now, what are we going to do? Communion. Yes. What a, what a cool picture. You know, what we're doing here right now is um, we're, we're living out, we're, we're, we're doing a small little picture of what Israel was called to do when they put the, the blood of the Lamb over their doorposts that warded off the angel of death. Some little lamb had to pay and when it came to when it came to us god himself took our sin and said this is my body that's broken for you for you for you for you and you and you <laughs> microphone crunchies <clears throat> And this is the cup of celebration in new life that I just spilled all over myself. You think you would think that with a little cup that I wouldn't be able to... Jesus going, really? How did you spill that on yourself? You're amazing at spilling. Um, the blood of Jesus that's poured out for us so that we, we, so that we have grace. We have grace. And then out of that grace we go, you know what? When I, when I, after I realized what Jesus had done for me, I said, you know what? I don't know why you're asking me to do some of the things you're asking me to do in terms of my morality, in terms of my life, but I know that you have, you have already shown me that you have my best interest. You literally laid your life down for me. You've shown me that you are good and that you're loving and that you have my best interest at heart. And so you poured out your blood for me and so I trust you. And we drink. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And if anybody either here or online needs prayer, please either online um, text. Just post. Post your prayers and we'll pray. Or if you need prayer, come on up and we'll have some, some of our small group leaders come on up and you can help pray for people. God bless.